Hello everyone. Welcome back to Data on Snow podcast. I'm Dinesh and I'm today very happy to talk to John Adams who is going to be sharing his experience uh, on implementing Snowflake platform. So John is the CTO of PowerCord. Uh, prior to that, he was CTO of BringHub. So he has implemented Snowflake in both organizations and not only for analytics but also, you know, to build SaaS applications. So which is a fairly new thing. And uh, here's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. John, really happy to talk to you. Welcome to the podcast. Great. Uh, nice to meet you. Happy to be here. So, John, I start uh, with your uh, current organization, PowerCord. Can you tell us a little bit of what the company does? Yeah. Um, PowerCord is a, we're in the lead to revenue management space and through channel marketing automation. Uh, what that really means is we work with uh, end, end of, or brands that manufacture uh, high consideration products like tractors and such uh, that sell through independent dealer networks. Uh, they all have marketing activities that they drive uh, traffic to a dealer and they want to know what happens after that dealer receives the lead. And that's really where we come into play is driving the traffic and then providing them insights around uh, conversions that happen after the fact. Okay. So in this process, you know, what kind of data do you collect and what kind of analytics do you do? So we collect a lot. Uh, we adjust uh, clickstream analytics across brand sites, marketing activities, uh, ad platforms, clickstream data that's from uh, interactions occurring on brand sites and dealer sites, yeah. as well as product registration data, sales data, that type of stuff. Okay. And this is all real time, right? I'm guessing this is all real time and... Um... Yeah, correct. The uh, the clickstream data is all real time. The advertising data is all real time. The only thing that's after the fact would be like product registrations. As some of the, you know, a tractor doesn't necessarily get purchased, uh, you know, immediately online. It could happen, you know, 90 days after a lead comes through, but making sure that yeah. attribution is accurate. Okay. So can you share your analytics journey for the last two, three years at PowerCord? Absolutely. Um, so I joined up with PowerCord just over two years ago. Um, I spent some time with them before uh, over the last decade. But coming from a background as a marketing agency, the analytics was very reliant on third parties, uh, third party analytics solutions like Google Analytics. Uh, yeah. A couple of years ago, it was recognized that this didn't give us the visibility and the ability to actually generate insights off the data says it was very sampled um, and we weren't really in control of said data. So a couple of years ago, we initi uh, initial initiated a relationship with Snowflake and started warehousing as much of our raw data as possible and moved towards a first party clickstream analytics uh, pipeline. And with that, you know, we, just slowly started evolving. It's, you know, working with descriptive analytics, working with building predictive models and, you know, getting into the prescriptive side of things now. Uh, this last year has definitely seen the biggest uh, uptick. You know, we started our data science team um, and we started integrating insights, you know, further into our products. Hmm. So did you like evaluate multiple platforms before buying Snowflake or... Uh, you had some experience, so you bought it straight away. Uh, so my predecessor looked at things like Domo. Uh, definitely spent a lot of money on Domo, trying to get that up and running. Uh, there was look at Semantic, or I believe it was 
not semantic segment segment was checked out uh, there was redshift was examined uh and google cool. bigquery and all of them kind of came with their own issues um domo was very expensive for us cool. for what it provided redshift didn't and bigquery really didn't provide the performance that uh, we needed as we have you know over seventeen thousand dealers in our system uh, these folks can be running reports. We needed to be, make sure that whatever data warehouse we chose uh, could support that, you know, 17,000 disparate users uh, reporting on different things. Hmm. So what were the like three, four drivers apart from cost, you know, from a performance standpoint or anything else, what were the three, four drivers that led you to uh, choose Snowflake? I think the big ones were, I kind of just touched on it, the ability to have a large amount of concurrent connections, uh, not to have the the reads impacted by writes. So as we're ETLing data from our clickstream, we're ETLing data from ad sources, we're ETLing from you know any third-party CRM. Uh, as we're ingesting this data, we don't want it to affect query performance and vice versa. So that was a big one for us. The other would be you know the support of semi-structured and as of last week, unstructured data. Um, it really does give us the ability to, to treat Snowflake as our data lake. Um, we can rec- we can recognize changes to our models, changes to our schemas as necessary, without having a whole lot of impact on you know cost or performance. I think the you know another big factor of it was the uh, the marketplace. You know Snowflake has this data marketplace where we can actually subscribe to other um, demographic yeah. information, uh, you know, geographic information doesn't really, there, there's a plethora, a large amount of uh, data out there and the marketplace is growing. So we know that third-party data sources can be leveraged to enrich our data. And uh, hmm. that's a big one. Hmm. Yeah, I think I've seen that DB share being used by a lot of clients. So what is your overall architecture? Like how are you ingesting the data then? Uh, what are you using for analytics? So the um, the ingestion piece, we, we've changed a bit. We started off with Aluma, which is a Kafka-based um, ETL provider. Mm-hmm. We really like them because they offer the ability to, you know, trans like enrich the data on ingestion. Just a very quick leveraging Python scripts ability to um, GeoIP folks to actually blow apart user agents and maybe restructure some data. So they actually discontinued support for Snowflake this year. And we moved over to a, a company called Hevo uh, for that real-time ingestion piece. Very similar technology, uh, Kafka-based, allows us to restream if something happens to go wrong. Um, and it's laissez-faire, like Kafka management for us. It's just hands-off. We don't have to worry about it. We also... Um, we, we, we've been dabbling using the Kafka connector to Snowflake directly with uh, Snowpipe, which would give us a little bit more control over that. And from a once it's actually in Snowflake, we have a variety of things. So we have our TensorFlow data models hosted in GCP for actually you know doing lead scoring and things like that. We have our sure. uh, GoLang API that our insights platform is built off of, which gives our you know. The ability to create custom reports for our customers, and we also have, um, you know, we leverage Looker heavily for the like embedded dashboards, okay. so we can actually surface um, 
you know, custom models to our clients via our, you know, our, our standard administrative interface command center. Hmm. So uh, in your last two, three years, when you've implemented uh, Snowflake, what kind of challenges have you faced? I think the, the big one is coming from, a. I, I have history working with, you know, Oracle, I do data warehousing in Oracle and it's a lot of the time, I think uh, the challenge I ran into was overthinking it with Snowflake. Knowing that like schema changes, uh, ETL changes, these things can be problematic in a lot of systems. I kind of assumed the same would be true with Snowflake. Um, Hmm. And that's really isn't the case. So part of it was just me. I think the challenges with Snowflake itself is there's a lot of money invested in alternative like data warehouses. Folks have been leveraging Teradata for years and the Teza systems and things like that. So trying to, it it took a little bit of time, I'd say for the marketplace to start getting up and running to start seeing, you know, uh, data providers realizing that this is um, a good place to actually have your data surfaced. And, uh, you know, so I think it's just like speed of adoption with any newer technology that that friction's there. When it comes to actual like technical friction or technical like challenges, there hasn't really been any. Um, the support's pretty amazing from Snowflake. They it just works. Um, I, I've said this, you know, a few things that Snowflake just works. I've never ran into a connection problem with them. I've never ran into a security issue with them. Uh, it's always just kind of been very simple. So most of the challenges have probably been on my wrapping my mind around getting, you know, that Snowflake can pretty much adapt to what I need it to do. Mm-hmm. So you also have built your application on Snowflake as a backend, right? I mean, your core application. Uh, so how is that? I mean, because a lot of people like we have built multiple applications and we used MySQL uh, or you know, SQL Server as a backend. So instead of that, if you're using Snowflake, what do you think is the, uh, you know, benefit? Well, it's really, so Snowflake, the application we built on top of it is solely around the reporting of our application. So we we built a third part, or not third party, we built an extension to our system called Insights. And what this does is it aggregates um, data from our various um, SaaS applications into one consistent Interface allows us to manage the reporting of that, create new reports, define uh, reports at different tiers of an organization's uh, hierarchy. And so it, it really did play to the LLAP aspects of Snowflake. We're not doing it for like transactional stuff. So there's no reason to have, you know, we, we were not trying to force Snowflake into being our LLTP system. We're solely using it as, you know, analytics reporting, but like powering it across our entire SaaS like ecosystem. Um, so it was kind of a no brainer for us. We did, we looked, we, we recognized we could store this configuration. We could store, um, you know, some of this information in a, in a third party system, but why it didn't really make sense. Um, it was very, you know, append only it's very, uh, analytical in nature. Um, so it, and it was, it was actually pretty fast to do. Um, we were able to beta it very quickly. It's uh, subsequently been adopted by our biggest client and um, year over year, just uh, the reception has been phenomenal. Hmm. 
have you uh, have you implemented any data security because you know a lot of clients are worried about you know cloud data on cloud and things like that so what's your take on that absolutely uh, so i mean the first thing that's interesting is da- uh, snowflake offers a lot of security options uh, depending on the tier you're you know uh, you're using you can uh, you can have your own key management uh, but snowflake has a pretty aggressive key management uh, it's all encrypted at rest um, it's pretty it's pretty darn performant, um, and it's you know it, it's GDPR HIPAA compliant. There, there's a whole lot of great uh, compliance documents around Snowflake that are available. But things that from an application layer, what we do is we do have column level security. Uh, we hmm. can mask data. Um, hmm. Last week there was actually the announcement from the Snowflake team that uh, row level security is coming. So the way we worked around row level security was using um, secured views. So with secured views, we can tie a warehouse to a client, and we can tie a you know secure view to a client or to a warehouse or to a role, and we can ensure that uh, the data that's being surfaced is only data that meets the conditions set for that client. Um, when we're looking at roles within a client's, you know. Uh, within a client scope, we can actually do the leverage of column-based security there and mm-hmm. make sure that they're not seeing data that they're not supposed to. Going, if we had to fast forward, you know, another probably couple of quarters, road level security is really where it's going to come into play because using the same role base that we can, you know, limit uh, columns, we can limit the rows being returned by those columns. The other, you know, a big one for us is even internally, there's like security concerns, right? You want to make sure that the folks in your company that need access to data have access and the ones that maybe don't need uh, access to PII don't have access to PII. So thinking about that, the way we've tackled that is using the SSO integrations with the SAML provider um, in combination with actually leveraging, uh, Snowflake has an open source um, SIEM tool called uh, Snow Alert. And it actually allows us to um, record uh, security events in Snowflake and have automated reporting and vulnerability like alerts uh, against those uh, you know, defined rules. So we can sit here and say, let's make sure that um, while we have network access policies set up, let's make sure that nobody accidentally deletes that and a login occurs from an unprotected or a, an unknown IP address. So that's how like some of those limitations or snow alert plus the um, ability to set network policies or user policies, plus the ability to actually like report on that and tie into our SSO really does give us a, a very, you know, comfortable um, feeling. Sure. So you've done a lot of stuff. What is the roadmap for next two, three years? What are you planning to do more? i say like going forward, it's going to be extending the, the, the intelligence aspects. So we, we've launched our, you know, first uh, in-house analytics model on there where we're actually doing lead scoring, um, looking at the quality of, you know, leads historically and the conversion rates and seeing how likely are these leads going to actually turn into a sale, recognizing the fact that some of our sales could take, you know, a week to a few months, right, depending on the size of the product. So getting in front of that, you know, thinking beyond that is adding in that, like that prescriptive piece. So extending our data models, investing heavily in the enrichment. And now that um, 
coming, you know, in the next couple of months, we're going to have the ability to run Scala, Java, and Python directly in Snowflake. Uh, it really gives us the ability to build much more complex models and recognize the the value faster. Hmm. So I'd say hmm. next couple of years, that's really it's going to be data, you know, machine learning, data science, hmm. more analytics. Correct. Yeah, great. So, uh, in conclusion, you know, uh, can you share some, you know, best practices or learning for the audience? Uh, if someone is planning to embark on a snowflake journey, what would you advise him to do and go about? I think the, you know, things to think about would be a, I touched on it earlier. Don't overthink, uh, getting okay. data there. It, it's it's fast, it's easy, and it doesn't have to be your final state. You know, it doesn't have to be the perfect representation. Snowflake has a lot of uh, features that allow you to um, derive new tables off of existing tables. They have materialized views. They have tasks. They have the ability to actually trans. Like Snowflake's been pushing the uh, ELT approach. You know, extract, yeah. load, then transform. And oh. I'd say, you know, getting your mindset around the, the cost and the complexity of, you know, ETL, like uh, tra uh, traditional ETL tools um, and moving towards that ELT mindset is probably the best advice I can give. You know, get the data in there. You can transform it once it's there. And if you decide That's to fine. change your, you know, data down the road, you can still, you can marry that pretty easily. Um, I think another, um, you know, learning from my, our investment in Aluma, um, we were really worried when we, we knew that Aluma was discontinuing support for Snowflake, but it took us two days to transfer over to Hevo. So in, in the grand scheme of things, like we did a live transfer uh, or live transition from one ETL provided to another, uh, very rapidly, I'd say, we spent a lot, we had a lot of heartache around that as well on, you know, migrating ETL could historically be very, uh, very painful. Um, right. Recognizing that there's a lot of vendors out there and a lot of support for Snowflake really, you know, makes me feel a lot safer. Like if I lose a provider anytime soon, I'll probably be able to replace it pretty quickly. Um, from a structure perspective, I think the one gotcha I can give people is, do you pay attention to variant data types? Like Snowflake has great support for querying variant data, doing um, schema at runtime, but there are there are some uh, functionality that you, like you miss out on. Uh, you can flatten your data pretty easily. Uh, I'd recommend using that because then you can take you can take advantage of things like uh, the uh, this uh, Snowflake's like search um, like search indexer. I forget exactly what it is, but it basically gives you the ability to get much faster queries. And it does not currently have support for uh, variant data, data types. Um, but it is, I don't know, I mean, I think best best steps are get in there and play. Since it's consumption-based, uh, you're not going to yeah. spend more money than you really, uh, you're not going to spend a lot of money. Things like $23 a terabyte for storage and the, CPU, uh, the uh, compute credits are only used um, when you're actually doing something. So it's very affordable to get in there and play. Right. 
Great. So, John, thank you for your time today. Uh, it was really great talking to you. I think you gave a lot of interesting insights for the listeners. So, thank you for your time and have a good day. You too.